episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Loaded Sport, where today we are going to be reviewing the weekend's action, including the FA Cup quarterfinals. We now know the four teams and who they will be facing in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. We're also going to be talking about as a build-up to night eight in the Darts Premier League, as well as looking at what happened last week in night seven in Nottingham. It's the conclusion of the Six Nations tournament, and of course, Formula One took place in Saudi Arabia. All that, and of course, the thing that's going to kick it off, the thing that's going to take control of today's episode i am sure it is kemp's comeback corner introducing first of all the man that will be presenting it mr kemp how are you doing how was your weekend man of the hour who's too sweet to be sour yeah mate fantastic fantastic great weekend uh professionally when it comes to loaded sport but of sports journalism boots on the ground away at the ufc in london which was fantastic um sheffield united making it through to wembley albeit against the consensus best team in Europe if not best team in the world so that's interesting and uh, and some lovely personal news as well with a new uh, addition to the family so uh, yeah absolutely fantastic mate how are you? I'm very good thank you um, it's been uh, an all right weekend for myself quite uh, busy work-wise but once again back to the Monday Friday job and uh, look forward to Recording the preview on the on Thursday, ready for the weekend once again. As I look forward to uh, getting to the weekend each and every week. Uh, also, does that not say something about your day job, though? No, mate. It says more about me just wanting to sit down and do nothing all day. Okay, nothing. Nothing all bloody day. Uh, also joining us is Skin. Skin, how are you, mate? I'm alright, mate. Thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How was your weekend? It was all right. Um, I, I took in some ice hockey, but I don't think we're quite at a point yet where we can fit any other sports in. So, um, yeah, I, I took in Sheffield Steelers against Nottingham Panthers. It's quite good, actually. A lot more people than I thought would be there. A lot, like everyone was really into it. So, atmosphere was quite good. And yeah, it was all right. Might go again in the future, but yeah, it was Mate, all right Sheffield overall. Pretty steady. Sheffield Steelers, although there's not a massive ice hockey culture in this country, Sheffield Steelers have always got a fantastic following. It's always been a bit of a yeah. cult thing in Sheffield following Steelers. So yeah, yeah, I could tell just from uh, just from one that, that one game there, like some old players from nineties there. It was like a big sort of celebration anniversary type thing. But yeah, it was all right. I enjoyed it. What about you, Aggie? How was your weekend, mate? It was good, thanks. Yeah, a lot of football to cover. And then uh, on Sunday, of course, just uh, chilled out and watched a bit of telly, really. Watched a couple of films with the family and that, that's there or thereabouts it. And then, uh, of course, back to work today. Now, before we do move on to talk about Kempi's Combat Corner, I just want to briefly mention that the conclusion of the Six Nations took place this weekend. Lads, I believe all three of us managed to get our predictions correct. Well done to those that got in touch on the forum as well and also got their predictions correct. Ireland did walk away not only as winners of the Six Nations... But as some might have predicted, especially towards the latter stages, completed the Grand Slam with a win, of course, over England as well. So uh, well done to all three of us for getting those correct. So Shout out to Liam for the big insight, which uh, influenced my, my decision to go with Ireland, by the way. It, I'd say it influenced mine, but it was the sole reason I went for Ireland. I thought, there you go, well, Liam you knows go, what man. he's talking about. I'm going to go with Ireland on the back of that. So uh, shout out to Liam. Well done for getting uh, that correct. So Kemp. 
this is your moment. A weekend of nothing but excitement and I suppose a couple of long hours travelling as well. Um, you take it from start to, to finish. We'd love to hear how your weekend went at the UFC. Oof, well, as Bruce Buffer says, and as he said live on Saturday night, it's time. Yeah, what what a what an unbelievable experience. I've I've wanted to go to a live UFC event ever since I started watching MMA as a sport, um, which is probably about eleven years ago now. So I've been I've been yeah, pretty pretty committed to MMA for a long, long time. And finally got to live out my dream um this last weekend. It was quite emotional and, and you might <clears throat> sort of sit there and think, emotional, for God's sake, you only went to a UFC event. But having been a fan of the sport for so long having experienced it on the telly and seen so many famous moments, you know, um, Conor McGregor's rise to superstardom, um, Michael Bisping winning the UFC world championship, the first British world champion ever, um, to then Leon Edwards a few months ago, head kicking Kamaru Usman into the shadow realm to set up the, the rematch, which, which took place this last weekend. And, and it didn't disappoint. It was an unbelievable night of fights. Quite a few decisions, but I, I don't mind that because it meant that we get to watch more action, which is great. Um, but yeah, just just unbelievable. And, and thanking my lucky stars and thanking uh, thanking the gods that the MMA gods that I you know I pray to quite often when a crazy fight's on that that this uh, this managed to to take place. So so very appreciative. I think the the mood was uh, over the weekend. Um, yeah, Adam, you mentioned a bit of travelling there. I went down with my with my good friend Nathan Bingham, uh, also known as Clyde. Um, we we set off at five o'clock on Saturday morning, so that was early start. Got into London for about well, got settled into London off the tube and everything for about half past eight nine o'clock. So made some decent time getting down there. Um, weather wasn't horrendous, but you know it could have been better. Um, had a had a bit of breakfast and then did a lot of walking. I think we did twenty two thousand steps. I think it was on Saturday walking around London. Solid. Big old place, big old place. You do forget when you've not been there for a few years how big it actually is. Got off at the London Bridge tube station and walked down to sort of Leicester Square, Oxford Street, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, it took a while. <laughs> it took a while to say the least. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed it. And then went and got some fantastic dinner at Bodeans. Um, so thank you for the recommendation, Mudge slash Liam. Um, and got on the tube and, and went to the O2 and, and witnessed a, f- a fantastic event. Um, really, really well organised, to be fair. Queues weren't ridiculous, which was good. Um, bit disappointing that you couldn't get any food in there because we lost a couple of protein bars and, and a nice Reese's shortcake, which was a bit disappointing. But apart from that, really enjoyed it. Um, what, no so food whatsoever? No food whatsoever. No food or drink whatsoever allowed in the arena. Yeah, which was disappointing. You couldn't buy any or you couldn't take any. Oh, you could buy it. You just couldn't take any in. So just before we did go in, um, we, there was a, you know, a UFC um, sort of fan experience, they called it, you know, a few booths and stuff like that. Tom Aspinall was doing an interview, listened to a few minutes of that. It was really insightful. Um, And then I saw um, Joanna and Jacek, the former UFC strawweight uh, women's champion of the world and, and, and a guaranteed UFC Hall of Famer in the future. Um, saw Joanna walking around taking pictures with fans so that was good it was good to sort of see the fighters up close and personal something I've never done before and may never do again so that was that was nice to take that in um, although Joanna is retired it was still nice to see that she's out and about and still representing the UFC on, on a decent level 
Um, we then went into the arena about half an hour before the first fight, and yeah, the, the fights came thick and fast after that. One thing I will sort of say before I sort of do go on to the fights, the event, etc., is because it because you're not listening to or watching it with commentary. It the rounds seem so much longer than they do when you're watching it on telly. Like the five minute rounds just seemed like they went on forever, which I wasn't complaining about. But you look down at the clock and you think, oh, you know, this oh, this round's been going on for ages now, and there's you know three and a half minutes left in the round. So really, really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, and and it was yeah, very very different, different experience, but a very very good experience at the same time. Uh, some fantastic fights on the prelims. Um, notably, uh, a a bit of an upset victory uh, for for a couple of, of fighters, um, namely Yanal Ashmoz uh, knocking out Sam Patterson. I don't know if anybody's seen this. Sam Patterson, a local fighter from Luton, I think, in the UK, and Yanal Ashmoz um, fighting out of uh, Israel. Um, but I don't know if anybody caught this or saw any clips on Twitter, but. Yeah, and Alashmoz knocked Sam Patterson out. Bit of a late stoppage by Mark Goddard. And then Sam Patterson, when he came round, actually thought he was still fighting. So got Mark Goddard, the referee, in a clinch. Started trying to sort of wrestle Mark Goddard, which was, you know, scary to see. But, um, yeah, he he, he got the job done. You know, Alashmoz, it was a fantastic performance. Just before that, and I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't mention it, Mohamed Mikhaev. Um, born and raised in Dagestan, Russia. Same, same with, with me and myself and um, chap on last week's Campus Combat Corner. I can't remember his name. Joe. 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 We, we discussed uh, Makayev's career. I think Joe had seen him fight a few times in, in his career and was quite high on him. Um, and, it, and it wasn't as easy as people thought it would be. Jafel Filio got him in, got Makayev in a knee bar. Um, and I don't know if anybody's seen the pictures of this knee bar, but literally his knee. his knee is yeah. pointing the wrong way. Um, Makayev yeah. didn't tap. He's done a few interviews since then saying he would rather have a broken heart. That he'd rather have a broken leg from not tapping rather than a broken heart from tapping. And he's since yeah. done an interview there saying he will never, ever tap, which is not a wise decision. But ultimately, it's his principle and fair play to yeah. him. If he, didn't, if he didn't tap then, then he's unlikely to. And oh, if you are, if you don't him. tap from that, you are never going to tap. So, yeah. fair play to him. What, what resol- You know, so resolute. And it's easy to say I'm not going to tap. It's easy to say that. You know, Molly McCann said that and tapped straight away to her in Blanchfield. So it's easy to yeah. say that. It sounds good on a soundbite, but Jesus Christ! If anybody doesn't particularly watch MMA. If you're squeamish, don't do this. But if you're not, type in Makayev Nibar in Google. Um, and Jesus Christ, you won't see anything as gruesome as that for the rest of the day, I can assure you. But yeah, he didn't tap. Um, he got out of it somehow and then on one leg because it looks as though he's torn a few ligaments in his knee and, and it's hardly surprising. Um, managed yeah. to submit Jeff Alfilo by a neck crank in the third round with only 28 seconds left on the clock. So... You know, not not an unbelievable performance in terms of quality from Mikhaev, but you know what a lo- what a lot of heart and, and desire to show that you know he, he wants to keep winning and, and wants to be the youngest UFC champion in history, and that's his goal. So fair play to him and good luck to him on his journey. And he's not a million miles away. Um, we then had a couple more fights: Chris Duncan, Omar Morales was a decent fight. Split decision win by Chris Duncan, the local Scott. So uh, that was good for uh, for the Scots in the uh, in the arena. And there was quite a few behind us making a racket. So shout out to all the Scots there. Um, and then the prelim main event was Jack the Tank Shaw from Wales uh, defeating Makwan Amir Khani. 
uh, by submission uh, in a by a rear naked choke in the second round with 33 seconds left on the clock. So yeah, fantastic prelims, and it was really really good to watch. You know, we we, we were there from the very first fight of the night, as you can imagine. I think there were about 30, 40 of us watching our first fight in the entire arena, but it was fantastic yeah. and we weren't missing a moment. Um, we then got to the main card. Marvin Vittori defeated Roman Delize, which was very, very controversial. We thought it in the arena, we thought it was a Roman Delize decision win. I must admit, I did watch the fights back today and, and, it, and it does seem to me as though it was a Delize win as well. Uh, maybe 29, 28 to Delize, but... Marvin Vittori, the Italian dream, uh, he got it done and, and he's going to hopefully climb back towards a title shot for him. Jennifer Meyer then take, took on Casey O'Neill. Uh, Casey O'Neill, vastly inexperienced compared to compared to Meyer, uh, with only 10, fight, well, 10 fights now on, on her record um, and lost by a split decision to be... Uh, lost, sorry, by um, unanimous decision, 30-27, uh, 29-28, 29-28. And to be fair, about, about right decision. Jennifer Meyer had a had a number on the feet and uh, yeah, it was it was the right call. Um next was a welterweight fight, Gunnar Nelson versus Brian Barbarena. Gunnar Nelson, former um training partner of Conor McGregor. Um has mentioned in the past few years he had a few problems with injuries and as such. Um, and, and has sort of hinted towards retirement, saying that he prefers coaching to actually fight in these days, which fair play to him. Um, but it, Jesus, it, it, it didn't seem like that when they got in the cage. Uh, Brian Barbarena was always going to have an advantage on the feet. He's a very dangerous striker, but his, his grappling is very, very lacking. And Gunnar Nelson is the exact opposite. He's not the best striker in the world, but Jesus Christ, he is an elite jiu-jitsu player. And we saw that by a submission uh, in the very first round with nine seconds left on the clock. He got Brian Barbarena in a beautiful armbar, a beautiful little combination um, and some lovely transitions to get himself into that position. And Gunnar Nelson wins in uh, in Europe. It's sort of UK, maybe Ireland more than anything else is sort of a second home or has been to Gunnar Nelson in the past few years. But it's great that Gunny got the job done and what a reception Gunny got from uh, from the faithful. So, uh, yeah, well done, Gunnar Nelson. He's one of my sort of boy stable fighters, if you will, Dawson, which basically means he's one of, uh, you know, my favourite fighters. that's probably not going to be a world champion, but, you know, all respect. And, and Glad props. to see him then. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Gunnar Nelson's, you know, he, he did get a lot of his fame and notoriety, pardon the pun, from being Conor McGregor's training partner. But I've always enjoyed, you know, him, his interviews and his fighting style. And, and like I say, he's an elite jiu-jitsu player and, and I always respect that level of quality. So uh, well well done to Gunnar Nelson and well played. Um, next was a fight. really like to see him win. So oh, yeah, absolutely. He's quite popular. And I think we all did, you know, Gunnar Nelson's one of them where he's not brash. He's not, he doesn't show off. He doesn't come out and, you know, he's a really, really humble down to earth guy, but you know, very, really hard worker. And I don't know, he's got some sort of cult following in Europe because obviously he's from Iceland. So, you know, he's, he's yeah. fairly local in terms of the world worldwide scale. Um, but yeah, fair play to him. And like I say, you know, a lot of people went, went crazy when Gunnar Nelson got that submission win. So fair play to him. Um, next was, a crazy fight. It could have gone either way. We knew it was going to be a crazy fight before it happened. Just in the highlight gate here against Rafael Fiziev. Um, Jesus, this fight was everything we thought it would be and more. I think the only thing we didn't get in this fight <laughs> we thought we were going to get was potentially a knockout, but we got everything. But um, ironically, Justin Gaethje, who is an elite wrestler, we covered it on the preview show, may have won the fight because of his wrestling. He got a takedown right at the very end of the fight. What a lot of people are saying won him the decision. 
Um, but what a crazy fight. Two game, game fighters. Rafael Fiziev, sort of the young upstart on his war path to the title. And Justin Gaethje, you know, the old war veteran, you know, that's been 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 in the wars and, and come out the other side. He's won, he's lost, but he's always put on a good show. And they both put on a fantastic show this last Saturday night with Justin Gaethje coming out with the majority decision. Um, and it's one of those fights where you can't argue with it really either way. But, you know, if you do want to look at the, the visual representation of the fight, Rafael Fiziev was a little bit messed up after it. And Justin Gaethje looked like he'd just come out of a spa day. So make of that what you will. Um, we then got to the main event. What an event. What what a moment. What atmosphere. I, I can't describe the atmosphere in the O2. It was very, very special. And, and as like I say, as an MMA fan for a long, long time, I know it's you know emotional bullshit, but it's it's absolutely prevalent, and I really really felt it in the main event. Uh, Kamaru Usman coming out first, the former champion, to a chorus of boos, which was fantastic. Uh, a lot of heel heat for for Kamaru Usman, um, and and when Rocky came out, you know Leon Edwards, the champion, the hometown boy from Birmingham, fighting in London, fighting in the main event for the for the UFC welterweight championship, defending his title. Um, what a what a innovation and what a what a response he got and he absolutely deserved it. And and what a fight. It started off with Leon Edwards really, really playing it well. Me and my friend uh, Nathan, as, as I mentioned, went down together and um, we were talking on the way down in the car about Leon Edwards' game plan. Probably be best for him to, you know, use leg kicks early on, try and take Usman's lead leg out of the equation it, it affects him shooting for the takedowns which was Kamaru Usman's sort of strategy throughout the fight and it'll also take away quite a lot of his power from the striking as well and that's what he did start with um, a few really really good leg kicks um, a few sort of side kicks John Jones who we've discussed on the podcast as well he's got a really interesting technique where he does kind of a side kick but goes down somebody's leg across their knee uh, and it hyper extends hyper extends somebody's knee it's, it's a very, very dangerous and effective kick. And a lot of people have been asking for it to sort of be outlawed in the sport. But, you know, it's, it's mixed martial arts, you know, to, to suggest something like that is absolute bullshit, in my opinion. But, yeah, he was effective using his, his kicks and, and distance management really, really well. And Leon Edwards, I think, comfortably won the first round. Second round was a little bit more difficult to tell. Um, I believe Kamaru Usman landed a takedown and... and landed a quite an easy takedown to be fair but Leon Edwards still had the best you know the better of me in the striking I have seen people give this round to Leon I have seen people give this round to Kamaru when I was in the arena I did give the second round to Kamaru Usman but ultimately having rewatched the fight today I am sort of edging towards Leon Edwards in terms of awarding the second round so you know you're looking at there Edwards is two rounds up after two rounds four so a very, very good start in London while I get my breath back. Um, third round was very, very interesting. Kamaru Usman um, took Leon Edwards down, uh, held him down and nearly took him down again. But unfortunately, Leon Edwards grabbed the fence, um, obviously the cage on the outside of the octagon. And that is an absolute no-no. Um, the problem with that is that because you're sort of taking somebody down or, or transitioning, and therefore, Leon Edwards grabs the fence. There's not really a position that they can reset the fighters into. So what they did is Herb Dean, who was the referee, um, broke the the, um, the 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 grappling exchange up, and he did up to the point from Leon Edwards, which was absolutely the right thing to do, and, and nobody was disagreeing with that. And I think Kamaru Usman won the round anyway as well. 
So on that basis, Kamara Usman wins that round by 10 points to eight. So just like that, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, we're all level again. Um, fourth round, I think Usman takes it very, 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 very... Ugh, it's so difficult. Last four, last rounds, four and five, were, were very, very difficult to score. Usman was effective. He, he was pressuring Leon. Leon looked like he was slowing down a little bit at times, um, but he was still landing effective strikes as well. So it makes it really, really difficult. I know a lot of people have got this round to Leon Edwards, and I understand why. Me personally, after watching it in the arena and um, re-watching it today as well, I did score that round to Kamara Usman. It was it was more of the same. It was a lot of pressure from Usman. Not a lot of damage, but a lot of pressure. Um, but Edwards landing effective strikes on the outside. Um, and then in the last round, I did give it to Leon Edwards. I mean, what a last round it was. The noise when the boys, when the lads came out for the for the very last round was was absolutely ridiculous. It was off the scale. It was off the charts. I'd love to have heard the decibel meter in the uh, the O2 Arena at that point because it was unbelievable. The, the atmosphere was fantastic and everybody cheering Rocky, um, Leon Edwards's nickname and, and, and willing him over the line. And I think it worked because Leon Edwards, in my opinion, won the last round comfortably, 10-9. Um, landed some very, very good strikes. Usman looked a little bit sloppy, went for a few takedowns. Leon defended well. Um, he landed a few dangerous kicks. You know, it was very, very close to headshot dead, you know, number two, the sequel. So, um, yeah, he, he won that round, in my opinion. And therefore, my scoring, I believe, in the end was 47-47. So, I had it down as a draw. But ultimately, the judges, and they are the ones that matter, had Leon Edwards winning the fight, 48-46, 48-46. And one judge did agree with me at 47-47 to your winner and still the welterweight champion of the world from Birmingham, England, uh, Leon Rocky Edwards. And, and what an unbelievable event. What a fantastic event for me to choose to go to and spend ludicrous amounts of money on. But you know what? It was all worth it. You can earn more money, but you can't earn, you know, you can't earn memories and moments. So what a fantastic night. What a fantastic weekend. And thank you to the UFC. Thank you to Dana White. Thank you to Leon Edwards. Thank you to everybody for making it happen because it, it was one of the greatest nights um, of my life. So thank you very much, everybody. And, and tune into the next episode of Kempi's Combat Corner, where hopefully I won't be quite as emotional. Oh, well, mate, it's going to be a fucking come down after that, isn't it? Next <laughs> well, uh, it's, uh, yeah, what what a weekend, mate. Obviously, we weren't there, but we we were there with you in spirit, with, with your messages and shit like that. And yeah, we I'm sure I'll speak for Aggie and, and everyone when I say that we're, we're glad that it lived up to, uh, to to what you had in your head and what you had in your heart, mate, because yeah, it's like you said, mate, you've you've been an, an MMA fan for, for the longest time and you it was sort of a bucket list thing of going to watch an event where in it and you, and you've done that. Absolutely. So yeah, Great absolutely. Stuff. And it wasn't just the event. It was the day it was going down to, you know, it, it, it the was occasion. Going down to, yeah. It was going down to London, setting off really early, that excitement. It felt like we were going on holiday. Christmas morning. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, picked picked one, picked line up, and we went down, and we got down really early. You know, we getting on the tube. It was all exciting, and you know, it was great. So, yeah, again, fantastic day. Fan all round, we did it really well. I think it took us about two and a half, two and a quarter hours to drive down to uh, to the tube station that we were getting on the tube at. About forty five minutes getting to London. Um, and then on the way back, we, we we literally left as soon as the buzzer went to end the, the final round. So we didn't stay for the post-fight interviews. The reason we didn't do that is because we knew that it would be absolute carnage on the tube if we did. 
So uh, we shot off straight away, got back on the tube to London Bridge, got the tube from London Bridge back to the tube station where we'd parked, which took about 35, 40 minutes in total. Um, and then uh, and then drove back up and got, got into bed for about four o'clock in the morning. So it was a really long day. A few Red Bulls consumed and a few face slaps on the way home in the car. Uh, can't quite remember a lot of that home journey in the car, to be honest with you, but we made it safe. We're all good. So, yeah, w- what a day. Um, and again, it wasn't just the the event itself. It was the day and, and that's what combat sports brings for you. And that's why... That's why I love it so much because the memories I've had, I've had watching combat sports on the TV and now live. Um, again, you can replace money, but you can't replace memories. And that's that's the uh, the learning point from Kempi's Combat Corner today. Not that not that you'll ever get many from Kempi's Combat Corner, but there's one. Love that. Mate, great review of the weekend, made even better by the emotion shown from the fact you've been there and enjoyed it. We'll be back in just a few moments' time to discuss the weekend's football action, including both the Premier League and the FA Cup quarter-final. Welcome back to episode 40 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start by talking about this weekend's sport, football action, should I say. Uh, starting with the FA Cup, including Sheffield United against Blackburn. I think it was two weeks ago, Kemp, that we sat here and did our locks and our wild cards. And you said you thought Blackburn were going to beat Sheffield United. And they mm. did in the championship. In the mm. FA Cup, it was a completely different situation. And I dare say, for the majority of the weekend, I'd consider that game of the weekend. Yeah, what a game it was. And to be quite honest, I know we've just been talking about the UFC on Kempi's Combat Corner, but as you can imagine, yesterday I was a little bit spacey for the vast majority of the day. Very, very tired. Um, very much on a come down from the UFC. So st- sat downstairs on my, on my old man chair and put my feet up and got my blanket around me and uh, and put Sheffield United on the telly. I was a bit disappointed that I couldn't go, but you know the UFC unfortunately uh, did take precedent on that occasion. Um what what a game! What a game! It was end to end. It was um, exciting from start to finish. Um, I, I feel like we started really well. I feel like we started really positively, um, and then we just had a dip as we often do. I, I know they scored first from that penalty, but I do feel like it was slightly against the run of play. Um, we then got that very very fortunate long range effort by Low, uh, rebounded and and deflected in. Uh, by by their uh, their defender Gallagher, I don't know if he's a defender, but their player Gallagher, um, and 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 then we sort of dipped off really we up to sort of half time. We were a bit poor. Second half we came out again. We were a little bit poor. We didn't look as though we were completely up to it. And and, and typical Sheffield United, we we never do things the easy way. Eighty first minute, McBurney scores to make it two two, and uh, and and wow. Wow, what a goal in the 90, 91st minute, I think it was. Um, Tommy Doyle's absolute screamer from outside of the box. It was There was no deflection on that one. There was no clean as a whistle, top bins. Keeper got a little bit of a touch to it, but Jesus, what, what an absolute finish. And unfortunately, with Tommy Doyle being on loan from Manchester City, we're, we're unlikely to see him in the uh, the semi-final. Um, but no, yeah, he's... Is it? No, no, but he's done his service there and uh, what an absolutely fantastic result for Sheffield United who are for the second time in 10 years, or second time in nine years, technically uh, returning to Wembley for an FA Cup semi-final. Who'd have thunk it? 
No, certainly. Not it you. can really do two things to a team, though, can't it? It can be a welcome distraction from the league form and what's going on in the league. We know Sheffield United have struggled for a bit of form in the in the league. Or it can be one of those where you take that momentum to take you to the next level in the league. What what from the the FA Cup run that Sheffield United have had? Do you feel it's it's had as an impact on your team? Um, it's difficult to say, isn't it? There's not really success been... breeds success. Well, I it does. That level. Well, it does. It does. Success does breed success. But at the same time, as Adam just mentioned there, our league form hasn't been the best. You know, we. We, we beat Spurs, which, to be fair, Spurs were absolutely terrible. So that wasn't, you know, but it's still beating Spurs. It is what it is. We then oh, lost yeah. against we then lost against Blackburn away in the league, which we, you know, we could have done with winning, really. We then beat Reading and then lost against Luton at home, which is a really poor result, and then went away to Sunderland and, and, and beat them. So our form's been very, very mixed. So I can't put that down to, you know, us being in the FA Cup and maybe playing more games than other people because we're in the last stage of this competition um, or, you know, taking the momentum from the wins and and hopefully taking it into the next league game or whatever. So I don't know. I don't know if it has had an impact, to be honest, but it's just Sheffield United. We're just, we're just a weird club uh, going through very weird times at the moment, but we'll always take a trip down to Wembley and, you know what, no matter what happens in the league, no matter what happens in the semi-final of the FA Cup, we'll uh, we'll always have those memories, those special FA Cup memories. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the last semi-final playing against Hull. You know, it was very, very close, even though the scoreline probably didn't suggest it. Um, and, uh, and and I'm sure I'll have the memories again, even if we do get battered 10-0, which is very likely. Of course, for those that aren't aware, you're up against Manchester City, which, of course, like you said, is a huge game for for yourselves, for Sheffield United in general, a welcome distraction from the league. But I saw a tweet by Paddy Kenny, who said that when Go the draw on, was made, Go on, Patrick. when the draw was made, there were no mm. indication as to what team was what number until that number came out of the hat. So really, uh, I don't know what Paddy's getting out there. Well, that's, that was his tweet, so I'm just going on what he said. Right, Dawson, can you make a detail of that? I've not seen it, mate, so I'm going to say absolutely no idea. Yeah, I think Paddy's had a few sherbets there, but to be fair, he's <laughs> he is Irish technically, and we're not too far removed from St. Patrick's Day, so he might still be pissed. He deserves him. Um, but yeah, no, you know, it is what it is. Listen, it's no matter who we'd got, it's a gonna, it's, it's a tough game. Even if we'd have drawn Brighton, which is probably the most favourable fixture there, you know, you're looking at all teams that are top six in the Premier League, aren't you? Or, or there or thereabouts. I'm not sure if Brighton are quite a top six at the moment, but there or thereabouts. So it, it, they're all toughies. You know, not none of the games would be easier. We've probably we've probably got the toughest game <laughs> out of the lot. Um, but yeah, ultimately, Sheffield United at this point in our history and at this point in our existence we're not going to go to Wembley and expect to get a result we're not going to ex- expect to go to the FA Cup semi-final and get a result against anybody that we play so you know any given Sunday as Dawson you will absolutely attest to and you will say um, we've got as much chance as anybody let's get at them let's let's show a lot of pride and passion and and I'm one thing if nothing else I know we're, the Sheffield United fans will be there in numbers and we'll definitely support the players off the pitch and, and outshine the Man City fans I'm definitely sure of that so let's see if we can get the jo- job done on the pitch as well 
Nice. That is one of the semi-finals. The other is Brighton, who beat Grimsby by five goals to nil, and surprisingly wasn't the biggest scoring difference of the weekend uh, against Manchester United. So, Skin, it brings me on nicely to talk about your boys, who looked like they were heading for the FA Cup exit before Fulham pressed the self-destruct button, got off the players sent off, the management went as well, and from there it was just one-way traffic for United, wasn't it? It was, mate. Chaos. It, it it was very similar to the West Ham game in the previous round that I went to. Uh, Nil-nil at half-time. The, the away team had been the better side, to be honest. I think West Ham were the better side in, in the previous round, and I think Fulham were the better side um, in the first half of the game on Sunday. Got that uh, early second-half goal from Mitrovic to uh, set up a, a very long remaining second half, and obviously United making some tactical changes, some substitutions to see how they could get back into the game. And then it all turned into absolute chaos in the space of about, what, four minutes? Fulham were 1-0 up with 11 men to 2-1 down with nine men and the manager sent off. So, yeah, full-on head loss, like you said there, Adam. Easy, comfortable from that point. Always going to be when you have two men sent off and uh, well, two of your most creative attacking players sent off and your manager as well. So... Yeah, William did what he had to do. He got caught doing it, especially with VAR. What can you say? United now play Brighton, who are in form, got a very comfortable win, as expected, on, on Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, I think out of the two fixtures, Brighton are more likely to cause an upset, but you would assume that it's got a, a Man City, Man U, FA Cup final written all over it. But as we know, any given Sunday and all the usual... Fancy sayings, who knows what can happen. But yeah, it was a good result overall. Now going to the international break for a well-needed rest for some players. Rashford's pulled out of the England squad today because he got a knock um, and had to come off late late in the game yesterday as well. So a well-earned bit of rest and recovery for him as well as some other players as well who, who no doubt need it. I was going to say, yeah, he's not the only one that's pulled out of the England squad and we can talk more about that later on in the week when we build up towards, of course, the European Championship qualifying game. Um, but yeah, yeah. Still staying on the subject, of course, of Manchester United, aiming for this uh, treble, of course, counting out the fact that they could still win the Premier League. Um, the that cup treble. Yeah, the cup treble, if you will. Um, that, that turnaround, obviously, against Fulham. Now, I've seen on social media, because, of course, Twitter and Facebook will do what Twitter and Facebook do and try and spin anything to make it look worse. So, of course, Mitrovic, he got sent off. He laid a hand on the referee. It did seem quite aggressive. There were then arguments that Bruno should have also had the same treatment a little bit later on. My opinion is that he shouldn't have because he quite simply moved the linesman out of the way so he could walk back onto the field. But he gave him a bit of a shove, so there's obviously that argument there. With regards to Mitrovic's red card, what do you think is the right outcome for him? Of course, he's had the red card. Naturally, it's a three-game ban. But is there something further that needs to be done for him as a discipline? Uh, I think so. Purely to set the bar and, and set a precedent. I think the the referee dealt with it fantastically well. No nonsense. Put his hands on. Within five seconds, Mitrovic was, was off the pitch. It was absolutely the right thing to do. I said it to you boys yesterday. The referee has gone and looked at VAR, come back and given the penalty. So it's not like he's given a penalty and Mitrovic has lost his head saying, what the fuck are you giving a penalty for? The referee's just had the benefit of watching about 20 replays of it. So it's clear that he's, Williams handballed it. Like There's no other reason why he'd give the penalty and send him off if he hadn't done that. So Mitrovic's reaction, for me, is is completely baffling. And, and yeah, I think... 
I think you've got to you've got to give him a lengthy ban. What that is, if it's five games, ten games, it's not going to be the rest of the season, is it? But I do think you've got to look between five and ten games to really say, look, this is not acceptable. It doesn't happen very often, as we know. The most high-profile one in in England is De Canio back in the day against Arsenal when he got sent off for Chef Wednesday. But yeah, it, it's once in a blue moon. But again, you've you've got to make sure that it's not tolerated because if it does become tolerated, that's where why drip by drip, month by month, little things start to creep in. So yeah, I think you've got to set an example of of what he did, which was uh, very very silly uh, in my book. Yeah. Just to add to that, and you mentioned there, it's, you, you feel like it's a little bit baffling. I, I thought that initially, and then I sort of looked back at it and thought, actually, no, he, I, I understand why he, he's done it. It's, it's an absolutely stupid thing to do, but I, I get I get why, from his perspective, he's done it, if that makes any sense to you. Um, so I think it's because they've, they've been, you know, they're in front, in some respects, they should have they should have been two 0 up. I think De Gea made an absolutely unbelievable save, if I'm not mistaken, um, to keep yeah, it at one nil. So I, I think so. I think it was yeah. So I personally think it was just absolute pure frustration. I think he knew what was coming. Um, Willian got sent off. I don't think it was because he was protesting against the sending off. I think he knew that was coming. I think from his perspective, what it was was, okay, you know, my player's been sent off. Um, we're 1-0 up, but it's going to be a penalty. And then Man United are really going to pour it on. And and that's exactly what happened. And ultimately, in the end, you know, they, they, they got they got beaten pretty convincingly. And the reason that I think he went off how he did is because of that frustration. I think he was just so frustrated at the fact that they could have been 2-0 up and potentially out of sight to then, you know, in, in, a, few, in a few short minutes... Um, conceding a penalty and going down to 10 men. Stupid decision, absolutely ridiculous, shouldn't have done what he did. I think he'll be the first person to admit and agree to that, but ultimately, in the end, it, it is what it is. He's, he's lashed out, it's a stupid response, it's a stupid reaction, but ultimately now, we are in a position where I completely agree with you, Dawson, that he should he should receive at least a five-match ban. Um, can't put your hands on the officials no matter what, and I think it's Difficult to compare that between that and the Bruno Fernandez one, which I think some people have been doing. Um, Bruno was sort of moving the linesman out of the way. I think more than anything else, frustrated that the linesman was in the way, didn't get hold of him and shove him. wasn't in his face. He just sort of moved, like pushed his arm out of the way so he could get by. Um, so I don't. I think you're comparing apple, apples and oranges when you compare those two events. But yeah, completely out of order for Mitrovic. Deserves the the ban that he's ultimately going to get. Um, silly behaviour, but again, I sort of do understand why he's done it, and it's not as baffling to me, Dawson, as it potentially is to you. I just, just if if that's the reason, then yeah, let's face it, it probably is. Like that's just mm. a massive lack of discipline. You consider Absolutely. how well Fulham were playing at that point. It weren't like they were that they were losing. It was a penalty to be. 1-1. They, they were the better team for the most part. Have some discipline, pull yourselves together and, and do what you can to get it to extra time or, or grab a result. Mitrovic was causing big problems. So, yeah, mm. it's just a, a massive lack of discipline. Yeah. What he's achieved is costing him his, his team. So, I think yeah, it might, absolutely right. I think it might You're result in like right. a fine for Fulham as well, considering the fact that obviously your leading striker there, Mitrovic is gone, Williams gone, but then your manager's been sent off as well. So it goes down as lead by example, but also a case of like you say, Kemp, have some discipline because now the team's looking at a fine, the players looking at a fine, Mitrovic more than of course William. 
and it could lead to a change in their season. They're not out of the the chances of getting into Europe. They're in their ninth place at the moment, three points off getting into a European place, 11 games still left to play, still a lot to play for in their season. So this could kind of start their downfall, so to speak. I'm not going to say they're going to get relegated or anything, but it could start their downfall and really affect how their season's going to go. So the team's going to be unhappy about it, the, manage, uh, the, the chairman, the ownership, the supporters, that kind of thing as well. So... Yeah, 100% needs to be a lot more uh, disciplined from Fulham. Speaking of the Premier League table, brings us on nicely to discuss the fact that nearly half of the Premier League can still get relegated from uh, 12th place all the way down to 20th, being separated by four points, which is practically unheard of in March, considering some of the sides as well down there, West Ham more in particular, still have a game, and in some instances two games in hand over some of the sides around them. So... Skin, I'm going to start with you by asking you on this one. The three sides that you think, from what you've seen so far this season, are the likeliest to go down from the Premier League? It's a big question, isn't it? It is a big question. Where do you start? Three teams out of a possible, let's say, eight realistically. Is it eight, two, four, six, nine, sorry. Nine teams. Four points separates 20th and 12th place. When was the last time we saw that? With ten games to go, never. Don't think we've ever seen that. I don't think we've ever seen that either. Southampton are currently bottom of the table, and they're only two points off of getting out of relegation. It's absolutely crazy, and we've we've naturally put a lot of focus on Arsenal or City and United at points because mainly because Arsenal were a new team in that race. But I do think it's kind of blinkered us a little bit as to what's going on in the bottom half of the table, which is something, as Kemp said there we've never seen before at this point in the season. So we're in for a really, really tight oh, Premier League relegation battle. Current bottom three, Southampton, Bournemouth, West Ham. I do think Southampton and Bournemouth will be two of those three that go down, uh, as I mentioned a, a few weeks ago. I can't remember who the third team was, I said back then. I, I think it was Forrest. And and I do think that right now, again, you look at the teams, West Ham, they should, in theory, have enough. Leicester, again, should definitely have enough. Everton have got, I want to say, a bit of form since Dash has come in, but they're unbeaten in three. You know, they're getting points, basically. Leeds changed a manager, and again, they're, they're winning the odd game, which I think they just need to do. You don't need someone to be going on massive unbeaten runs. You just need to be getting points. Wolves are there, but they don't really seem to... Again, they they win a couple of games, then they lose a couple, and they win a couple, and then Palace have just sacked Vieira. So, could Palace sacking Vieira not winning all year? Could could they face a big drop if those teams around them start winning? I would take a guess at it being between Palace and Forest, but I do think with Palace's experience, it should be them that just survive. So, the short answer to your question is Southampton, Bournemouth, and Forest. I don't know if either of you want to chuck another name in the hat outside of those three. I'm... Yeah, it's um, it's difficult, isn't it? It's really, really difficult. I've just been looking then and, uh, you know, you, you make a case for one team and then you think, oh, no, actually, what about them? And then you think, oh, no, what about them? And like you say, it's it's absolutely unheard of. It's unprecedented. All of the superlatives that you want to you want to use. Um, I think Palace and Wolves will be OK. I think Wolves have got enough in them. I think they've got enough quality in the side to, to get themselves, you know, over the line. And I think Crystal Palace, am I right in thinking they've just brought Roy Hodgson back, who 
is a relic these days, bless his heart. He's about 83. I wish they'd let him retire, but ultimately he's uh, coming out of retirement, I think, one more yeah, time. Look, he can say no if he wanted to. But... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. No, he's a, he's a slut for it, bless him. Um, but yeah, I think he's got enough experience. I think he's got where the wherewithal, and, and he knows the club, he knows the surroundings, and I think, I think Roy will keep them up one last time before he uh, hopefully sells into the sunset. You mentioned then Everton. Sean Dyche is a he's a mastermind. He's a specialist in getting the job done. It's not pretty. It's not attractive. But ultimately, that's what Sean Dyche does in it. He gets the job done. Um, Brendan Rodgers and David Moyes both very very experienced managers at this point, and I think. You you might think that I'm wrong and I'm you know uh, deluded for thinking this, but I think experience is one of the most important traits in the uh, in the Premier League, as I've mentioned with the City and Arsenal situation before. So, but yeah. for me, it comes it comes down to Leeds and Forest. I think I think Leeds and Forest are the, are the ones that have got maybe the two managers with the least experience in this particular position. You could argue the Wolves manager maybe not as well, but again. I do think they they do have enough, but Leeds beating Wolves at the weekend four two really did put the cat amongst the pigeons. So all I can say is what a fantastic you know something else to be looking at rather than just you know top four or title race or whatever. You know it's really really boring when the title's wrapped up in March basically, relegation sewn up in March as well, and it's like oh top four you know where it's like. Top four is not the most in, in, interesting thing in the world, is it? So it doesn't make that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. So really, really good that we've not just got a fantastic title race going, but a fantastic relegation uh, battle going as well. And it's going to make the the, the the latter end of the season very, very exciting. But for me, gun to my head, you ask me now, Southampton, Bournemouth and Leeds are the three that are going down. Adam, what are your thoughts? Are we talking bullshit? Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying you're talking bullshit. I think Bournemouth, I think, is, is going to get relegated. Bournemouth, without saying. Southampton, there's something about them that makes me feel that they're going to escape it at the very end once again, simply because they're, they're on a bit of a resurgence at the moment. They picked up, yes, Man United went down to 10 men. They picked up a point. They beat Chelsea. They managed to claw back a draw against Tottenham. They're, they're fighting for these points, and I know that's what you need to be doing at this bottom part of the, the table, just to get yourself out of rege- relegation. It's like what you said, Skin. Leeds just picking up points here and there. Everton unbeaten in three, just picking up points. You don't need to be going out on these winning runs, and I think Southampton are doing that at the moment. And with, what, ten games left for them at the moment this season, I, there's something about them that makes me think that they're going to be able to escape at the last minute yet again. So I'm going to go with Bournemouth, I think Forest, and part of me feels like Wolves are going to fall down in there. Um... I know they've they've they are they're a very hit and miss side, but when it comes towards the back end of the season, and as it is at the moment, I think Leeds are going to have enough about them. Uh, I think Everton under Dice they just play defensive football, and if you don't concede, you're guaranteed at least a point. I think that'll work out in their favour. Leicester, mm, I think part of me just doesn't want to see them go down as as ex Premier League champions, and Palace part of me feels that they deserve to go down for sacking Patrick Vieira. So. I'm I'm going to stand there and say Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest and Wolves are my three and Southampton have a bit of a resurgence to get themselves out of relegation. Just before we go on to discuss night seven and night eight of the Darts Premier League, let's have a look at the locks of the week and see if Joe managed to top either Chris or Paul from the top of the leaderboard skin. Yes, mate, absolutely. It's uh, I'm going to have to pass the reins over when it comes to talking about the locking because my last my results the last few weeks haven't been that great and uh, that once great score that I had for year today is slowly tumbling away so uh, 
yeah, we'll we'll race through this one for purely selfish reasons. But we'll start with us lads first. We'll get us out of the way, and then we'll get on to to our listener Joe, who I really enjoyed having on on the show last week. Um, the locks three for three lads. I had Man City comfortable winning the FA Cup. Kemp had Brighton comfortable winning the FA Cup. And then Aggie, you took Plymouth to beat bottom of the table Forest Green, and, and they came in for you as well. Very comfortable two 0 win. So well done all round, lads. Um, scorers. I had David McGoldrick, who I mentioned in the episode I was tied between him and going back to Andy Cook. Should have gone Andy Cook. He bagged twice. Absolutely good. McGoldrick didn't start the game. Came on just before half-time. But Derby suffered that very surprising 2-0 home loss. Um, so he didn't bag. Aggie, you had your man, the man in form, Ollie Watkins. Didn't score, did he, unfortunately, despite Villa scoring, uh, I think it was a 3-0 win in the end, weren't it? It was, yeah. Unfortunate for me again. Absolutely, and then Kemp, you had uh, March for Brighton. Obviously, we were a bit sort of unsure whether or not he'd start, but Brighton put out a full-strength team, and he bagged, mate. So you were the only one to land a scorer this week. Well done, well done, well done. Thank you very much. And onto the wild cards, I took Barnet, which was obviously quite a bit of a a wild card by definition, considering they were playing Notts County. Did, however, manage to get a 1-1 draw, but not enough to get the win, so unfortunately that's a loss. Aggie, you took Leeds, who are quite popular in the wild cards, as we mentioned last week, because they just seem to have a little bit about them and they can get a result. And they had a, a very good away win at Wolves uh, this weekend. So well done, mate. You've landed a wild card. Thank you. And Kemp, you were on track to uh, get a very rare wild card loss with Rotherham 1-0 down to Cardiff. But a waterlogged pitch after about 15 minutes of rain ended up with that game being abandoned. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, lads, seen the videos online and seen the state of the pitch, but there are a few rumours going about that the reason it ended up getting abandoned is because the groundsmen weren't exactly in a rush to sort the pitch with them losing 1-0. And there is a video on Twitter of a, of a guy who's kind of like sweeping, I don't know what the actual word is, but sweeping the water off the pitch and then turning round to sort of bring it back to start again and dragging the water back on with him. So he's kind of I've undoing the work that he's done. So, yeah, based on that, a few theories knocking about. But, Kem, as as we know, with it being abandoned, it is a void bet. Mm. Um, so, no wild card winner or loser for you this week. Rumour has um, it so... that I paid that man um, a substantial <laughs> amount of money. <laughs> okay. And, and now you've said it, mate, you, you might be onto something there, yeah, considering your sense. wild card record and, uh, and, and what I've So, have you seen the video that what I yeah. mentioned there? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit outrageous, isn't it? No, 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 not at all, not at all. He was doing his best, bless him, but <laughs> the conditions were just too um, too, too disastrous, yeah. unfortunately, for us to yeah. carry on. So I'll take okay. my 100% record this weekend. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, I'll uh, I'll get a, I'll try and get an unbiased opinion then. Aggie, have you seen the video? I have, mate, yeah, and I think it was just daft. It's just lift, <laughs> just lift the brush back up when you walk back onto the pitch, and that's it. It's, it's plain and simple. Um, but even then, yeah. I don't think, from what I've heard, the the downpour was like unreal, like nobody'd seen before in that quick change of uh, change of weather. So I don't think even that would have been able to get the game back on. I think the referee would have had to leave it too long, and then they'd just call the game off. To be fair, the the weather was really bad. I I was about ten minutes from Rotherham when it happened. Um, and it was like someone throwing rocks at the window. It was that quick and that intense. So I can see why what happened happened, even though it was only sort of a 15-minute spell of rain. But, yeah, yeah, like you said, Adam, it was just crazy and and so 
quick and out of nowhere. But anyway, overall scores for the week. Me, for about the fifth time in six weeks, I've got one out of six, and that one being the lock. Aggie, you've got two out of three, mate, so continuing your, your relatively decent form. I know you've had a bit of a slower couple of weeks, but overall this last month or so, you've been absolutely firing. And then Kempi, you've gone for best possible result this week, which was a two out of two with the uh, lock and score a double, and that being a Brighton and a Brighton score a double, which you love so much. So, Kempi special, Well maybe. done, lads. Kempi special. It is the Kempi special. At some point, we're gonna, we'll get to a certain level where we have it on Skybet. It's the Kempi special, and it's a team to win and one of their players to score, and it's whoever you've picked on the uh, on the lock-in with uh, with some boosted odds. But we'll uh, we'll see when we get to that 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 day. Um, yeah, as I said, we got Joe with us on the lock-in. Uh, he went with Chelsea as his lock at home to Everton. Chelsea had found a little bit of form, winning a couple of games. Everton in that relegation scrap that we're we're well aware of. But I'll tell you what. Aggie, I'll, I'll give you this one, mate, as, you, as the big Sean Dash, um, head of the fan club, a late equaliser. Maybe Chelsea aren't quite back on the track they thought they were, and Everton, as long as they've got Dash at the helm, will keep scrapping and scrapping and scrapping, won't they? Yeah, and that's what I mentioned for ages about getting Sean Dash in at Everton. I know I went against him in his first game in charge against Arsenal, but that's what he does. He grinds and, and scraps for results, and he did that with oh. Burnley. He got them into the Premier League, he got them into Europe. What let him down was he didn't have the squad depth. Other than that, I think he'd still be at Burnley now. So I think he can turn Everton around, no problem. And Chelsea, they're just so poor at the moment. Potter really needs this summer transfer window to hurry up and he needs to absolutely nail it to get this club back on track. But I've heard they've been sacking loads of people off uh, over these last couple of days. I think I mentioned it to you earlier, Skin. They've even got rid of their groundsman of 30 years um, earlier yeah, on did. today just as part of a call to get rid of people. So I've no idea what's yeah, going on at Chelsea that. at the moment. But if your groundsman goes because you're losing games or throwing points away and it's not your manager's fault, then we've all lost hope, haven't we? Yeah, we, are, we certainly have. Uh, Joe went, went with the loaded sport favourite, Macaulay Langstaff, to score for Notts County as his scorer. And he did relatively early on in the first half against Barnet, scoring their only goal of the game. He took Chesterfield to win away at Woking in the early kickoff live on BT Sport. I watched the game. Tell you what, I know we were speaking a couple of weeks ago about Chesterfield going winless in 10 and things like that, but they've made a couple of really smart signings in the attacking third and they've been they've been brilliant. They're right back up there in the form table. I think they sit second in the form table over the last five games. Really starting to set themselves up now for what will hopefully be a deep playoff run. But a, a, a solitary goal, a penalty from Ollie Banks in the first half, Got Chesterfield a, a very well-deserved 1-0 victory away at Woking. So, fantastic result for them. Uh, an even more fantastic result for pick, uh, pick from Joe for the wildcard. And that's back-to-back weeks that the uh, wildcard has been successful. Nobody got it right all season up until last week with Chris. And we've now got back-to-back winners on the wildcard. So, it's uh, hopefully business is starting to pick up. Now, on to the scores. We had Derby to beat Fleetwood 3-1. Originally was going to go 2-1, but then got quite confident with how they might perform. Went 3-1, but as I mentioned just a moment ago, they did lose 2-0 in that unexpected loss to really dampen their automatic promotion hopes in League One. He had Sheffield United to beat Blackburn 2-1. Now, despite getting the winning margin correct, he didn't get the score correct, which is what we're here to do with that 3-2 victory, as we discussed earlier. A cracking game of football. A really, really brilliant game of football that was. And I think anyone that watched it, um, would have thoroughly enjoyed it, even more so for having Clive Tilsley and uh, Ali McCoist on uh, on commentary for it. And uh, the third and final game in his three score predictions was Man United to beat Fulham. Again, very, very close with that one. 
But as we know, it did finish 3-1. So Joe overall got himself two out of six. So sticking himself into that tied second place amongst many of our other guests. Not Jay, not Tina. They sit on zero um, as well as someone else, but I can't remember. So uh, lucky them. And uh, yeah, so that was Joe this week. Really enjoyed having him on. Really enjoyed listening to you two talking about the uh, UFC in London that was upcoming at the time. And uh, yeah. This week, we've got the man himself, Richard, the sexy man, Shellswell, as he's known in the workplace. He is a Rotherham fan, lad, so we'll, we'll get his thoughts on the uh, the attempt, in uh, big air quotes, to uh, clear the pitch of the uh, water. It is his best. I've heard what he's got to say about it, and, and he's even claimed <laughs> that they should have points deducted for it, so I think he feels differently, but... Uh, yeah, it'd be good to have him on. It is International Weekend this weekend, lads. We have got League One, League Two and non-league action coming up, but we have also got Euro- European qualifiers and they will be eligible for the locks, the scorers and the wild cards. And there will be a couple of those games in the score predictions as well. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having him on, getting a bit of a different perspective. Rotherham, weird team, aren't they? They're too good for League One and not good enough for Championship. They're, they're kind of the Norwich and Fulham of the uh, of that sort of level, aren't they? So be uh, be good to get his thoughts on, on what the season is looking like so far. Absolutely. We will be back in just a few moments' time to discuss the conclusion of Night 7 of the Darts Premier League. Welcome back to episode 40 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start looking at the Darts Premier League. What happened last week in night seven in Nottingham? We all went for our own predictions and I don't think anybody could have predicted what happened in the semi-final between Michael Van Gerwen and Chris Doby. Kemp, I'll come to you first because, of course, it was your guy that went ahead and won it, didn't he, in the end? He did, he did, and um, I'm, I'm delighted that he did because, yeah, he, he won one week, but then it looked like Marco Van Gerwen was going to be sort of going, uh, sort of pulling away with it a little bit and running away with, uh, with, with the um, with, with the title, perhaps. So, yeah, absolutely delighted that uh, that, that my boy, um, he, he won this week. Thank God, get old Gerwin, uh, and, and hopefully uh, long may it continue and, uh, and long may um, Gerwin Price winning nights and, and winning the Premier League continue. But yeah, a, a strange night of darts. I don't think, like you say, anybody saw that coming in the semi-finals. Um, Chris Doby beating Marco Van Gerwen 6. 6-0, six 6-0. Six um, don't happen very what, often, does it? I, I don't think I've ever seen that happen to Marco Van Gerwen, to be honest with you. So yeah, it did me a favour with Gerwin Price obviously being in the final um, but yeah, Van, Van Gerwen looking pretty comfortably into Peter Snake bite right, as as often people do. Um, and then yeah, just just capitulated completely in the semi final. I mean, I, I know we didn't see it coming, Dawson, but do you think that's gonna, you know, have a bit of a psychological effect on Van Gerwen? Maybe one winning three nights in a row and then getting absolutely spanked by Chris Doby like that. Short answers, no, mate. We, we've said it before, haven't we? Not everyone's gonna win every week. He wouldn't have selected that, but if there's one man that's going to cope with it, it's Michael Van Gerwen. I think it's more about what it'll do for Chris Doby. He, he won night one, as we said. Sam picked him to win the tournament as a bit of an outsider. Started off in the perfect way off the back of winning the Masters and has been very quiet since then. I think he was sitting third bottom in the table. To, so it goes to show what had happened in the five or six nights after that. 
and he now heads into this week playing in his home city, Newcastle at the Utilita Arena there. Um, and you know we've we've spoken about the sort of the home advantages that certain players will get along the way. And this week it's Chris Doby's turn, so he's off the back of beating Michael Van Gogh in six 0 in the semi final. He's going into his home city. His home crowd are going to be right behind him. You've got to fancy Chris Doby to have a, another decent run um, in night eight with the with the Premier League darts. Aggie Peter Wright Van Gogh in up first in game one. He's Mate. not going to win the tournament, which means he doesn't have to do the forfeit. He's not going to not win a game now, unfortunately. So you don't have to do the forfeit for that. But what can you see him doing for the rest of the tournament? Nothing. Really nothing. He's he's not really turned up for most of this tournament and the only thing he has been good for is making sure I don't have to dye my hair or do a dance. That's literally all it's been there for. And I know the week that he won was the only week that I've backed somebody other than him to win. And it was the right. guy that he was up against in the quarterfinals and that was the week that he won. And that's why Michael Van Gerwen didn't win last week because I'd got him down to win the entire week or the entire night, should I say, sorry. So he didn't go ahead and win it. He, he lost 6-0 to Dobie. As for Wright, I am really regretting this choice of, of going for him. It's the one that's eluded him. He really hasn't performed well at all this year. He'll be disappointed with that as well. He's starting to run out of time. I know we said three, four weeks in when he didn't even have a point on the board. There's still a long way to go, but we're reaching the halfway stage now and he really needs to start turning things around. And I think the toughest part of that is he's going to be up against Van Gerwen this week, a guy who to me is like the Manchester City of this Darts Premier League because if he does lose, which he did against Doby, like Kemp's just said, he's the guy that's going to be able to deal with it. He's going to walk away, he's going to focus on what he did wrong, get himself sorted for the following week. And the the, the worst thing you want to do is be the guy that faces Van Gerwen after he's just been beaten 6-0 against the odds. And Peter Wright is the guy that's going up against Van Gerwen after he's just lost 6-0 against the odds. So I really don't see him doing anything this week. Uh, looking at the draw in the quarterfinals, it wouldn't surprise me if Van Gerwen got to the final. I can't see Aspinall or Van der Berg doing the exact same as what um, Dobie did last week. So to me, Van Gerwen's going to get there. Who's he going to go up against? I'd like to see Michael Smith back there. I really do like Michael Smith, and I'd like to see him back there to have another go at going against uh, Van Gerwen. I think the two of them have had some good battles over the last couple of months, um, heading into the Darts Premier League and a couple um, during this tournament as well. So I'd like to see him both there. And I think the one I'm going to predict to win it this week, so back anybody but him, is Michael Smith. That's my prediction this week. Kempi, who are you putting your name to this week in Newcastle? Yeah, it's... Um... It's going to be an interesting one, as as Adams just mentioned. There, there's going to be a couple that, you know, any given Sunday, as you always say. But it's, it's yeah, there's going to be a couple there where you expect the result to be what it's going to be, and then it may potentially be that. Um, Quarter final draw is interesting. I, I do think Marco Van Gerwen will will pretty much butcher Peter Wright out of the gate to get sort of the monkey off his back, if you will, um, and and then. Sort of after that, it gets interesting. Nathan Aspinall against Van der Berg, your man, and then Gerwin Price, Michael Smith, Johnny Clayton, and Chris Doby on the uh, the other side of the bracket. So, I'm gonna go with. Uh, mm, it's difficult. I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna copy Adam and say Michael Smith. I think if he gets past Chris Doby, it'll be a real boost for him. I believe, as you mentioned, Chris Doby is hometown boy. So it might get, you know, a little bit raucous in there. And if he can overcome that, I feel like he'll get quite a bit of momentum going into the uh, into the next, uh, into the semi-final. So I'm going to say Michael Smith as well. Skinner, you going for? I will, 
I, I was going to say that I'll go against the green, but only in respect of picking someone different. But I am going to go back to my pre-tournament picking Michael Van Gerwen. I know it's the easy pick, but he still needs to win. And, and as we saw last week, anything can happen in any given moment, in any given match. But I think he's on the consensus, I don't want to say easy side of the draw, but he is on paper. He's got Peter Wright and then he's got the winner of Aspinall and, and Van der Berg. Going Price, Michael Smith in the other half of the draw, Christo being his home city. So, yeah, I think Michael Van Gerwen gets to the final and, uh, and and goes on to win the whole night and goes four out of five the previous five weeks. So that's my pick this week. There we go. Look forward to uh, seeing just how they get on and reviewing that next Monday. Uh, of course, the darts taking place in Newcastle on night eight this week. We'll be back in just a few moments' time to review the Formula One, the second race of the new season in Saudi Arabia. Welcome back to episode 40 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to talk about the Formula One. The second race of the season took place this past weekend in Jeddah and it was another win for Red Bull. Second place was Max Verstappen, which means finishing in first place skin was... My prediction, Chico Perez, baby. Unbelievable. What is unbelievable is that for two consecutive weeks you've managed to guess not only the person that will finish on pole position at the end of qualifying but the person that will win the race as well. Granted, it, it's a bit easy because it's just Red Bull, but logic would say, regardless, it's going to be Max Verstappen, isn't it? Because let's be fair, between the two drivers, he is the standout performer. But the logic was there for you. He turned up late. He'd been ill this past week. Why not go for Checo? There you go. It's uh, it's a nice little win. But I think the big talking point about that win for Red Bull is just how much you've uh, fallen out with uh, their number one driver. Yes, mate. I am very upset with Max Verstappen because of his conduct. He apparently missed a team meeting on Saturday, which I know we'd spoke, spoken about him being ill and he'd arrived in Jeddah late. Did that play a part? I don't know. You know, you can only go off the fact that he missed a team meeting. And, and just his overall demeanour, don't, I don't know what the relationship is with sort of the Red Bull execs at the minute or where his head's at, but there were a couple of things late last season where in the last race he wouldn't let Perez past him, even though Perez had done that favour for him. And and yeah, like things like his dad not even acknowledging Perez when he got out of his car and went over to the Red Bull team to celebrate the win. It, it was like it was like he was stood in the queue at a post office, like he was having absolutely none of it. So it does feel very much like us and them at the moment. And yeah, look, you, you're never going to question Max's ability and and what he's going to do this season and what he's done over the last couple of seasons. Logic says he is going to win this title this season by a comfortable margin, but. Yeah, it doesn't quite sit right for me. His his de- demeanour and his kind of it's it's us versus them attitude at the moment because it's not like you know me, mate. I love people that talk the talk and I love people that back it up. But if you're going to be a prick when on the surface, and again, this is on the surface and outside looking in, there's not really any reason for you to be being a prick towards the people that it's most clear that you're being a prick to. Yeah, it just it doesn't sit right with me personally. But again, sort of that outside looking in perspective, that bit of a neutral. What what do you think? I think he is only going to win by being arrogant. 
and I think this is going to sound silly because I know me, you, and Gaz have spoken about this a bit, and he, he will argue yeah. to the end of the earth about it that Lewis Hamilton, arrogant, selfish, he won championships. Michael Schumacher, arrogant, selfish, won championships. Max Verstappen, arrogant, selfish, winning championships. I know it's sometimes regarded as a team sport in Formula One, but there are areas of it that need to be selfish. And don't get me wrong, I don't like the fact that his dad completely blanked Checo after he'd won that race. Max had done a fantastic job to get to where he got to. It should have been a win for both sides, and it should have been celebrated by all all parties. But instead, it's been overshadowed by what's happened. Next week, I I think I saw actually a picture of, uh, was it Checo's dad celebrating with Max after Max had won a race? So it is just one-way sort of traffic from, from Checo and his, his family and his party towards Max Verstappen. But the only way Verstappen is going to beat them records and best what Lewis has done and best what Michael's done and, and be regarded with the, the creme de la creme of Formula One is by being selfish in these sort of circumstances where you need to go on and win those races and, and sometimes disobey team orders. And if it works out... You're a genius. It's worked. And this is something that Lewis has done over the last couple of years towards the back end of Mercedes' dominance. When he was being told by his engineer, Bono, when he needed to pit, what tyres he needed to go on, Lewis would overrule him. And Lewis would tell him. And the thing for me as a driver is, if you're going to overrule your engineer, you've got to be damn sure that you're getting it right. Because if you're not, it looks even worse on you. Like, you haven't got a clue what you're doing, or why you're even there, or why you've ignored those sort of, of rules and instructions. Lewis, nine times out of ten, as much as I don't like the guy, he got it right. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to it. And I think over the years, the more experience that Max gets, he will. And I think this is just the start of his sort of show of selfishness. He's he's the number one driver. He's the one that's winning championships. Yes, some of that's with Checo's help, but this is where his selfishness really settles in. And he's he's all about himself, setting them records, winning them championships. And I think without that, he's, he's not going to be the guy that goes on to... to level or better what Lewis and Michael have done in the sport I understand that but again the the whole reason or one of the main reasons that I picked Perez to win at the weekend was I said that Max isn't going to win every race no matter how comfortably he wins the title or how dominant he is he's not going to win every single race and coming out of qualifying he was starting the race in P15 after some motor issues I believe it was so he started 15th. He's absolutely obliterated the field. That overtake on Lewis Hamilton, by the way. Lewis Hamilton may as well have been on a fucking bicycle. That's how just ridiculously easy Max just went past him like he wasn't even there. So but he started 15th. He's got to second. He's finished comfortably ahead of third. That race could have gone a lot worse for him. So, yeah, like I said, 100%, I agree. He's going to be arrogant. He's going to, be, he's going to have that selfish streak because of what he wants to achieve from himself. In a race, in a season, and in his career, I understand that. But Perez is his teammate, and Perez is someone that's done a lot for Max. He he did uh, he has done a lot for Max in this last couple of seasons. Last year, letting him letting him overtake him. The year before, in that in that ill-fated race in uh, Abu Dhabi, where you know the talking point was what happened in the last lap. Perez up to that safety car was doing an absolutely unbelievable defensive job to let Max get ahead of the field. And and that's just where that part doesn't see sit right with me. I've absolutely no no issue whatsoever with Max being arrogant and you know all these all these traits that we know top drivers and and top sportsmen or, or just elite people in general have that that will and that want to succeed and 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 win at whatever they're trying to win. But they're 
no matter who you are, no matter how successful you are, there are going to be people along the way that help you get to that level. The best sports people in history uh, have had that. Your Tom Brady's, your Michael Jordan's, your Tiger Woods, your other drivers like your Hamilton's, your Schumacher's that you mentioned there. So, like I said, no issue with him being arrogant and all that kind of stuff. But the moment you start to... I don't, I don't even know. Okay. But... So, let's look at this from a different aspect. You mentioned Michael Jordan. You mentioned Tom Brady there. Yes, they are in... in sports that are predominantly team-based. No, neither of them will win as much as they do without a team around them, no matter how good or bad that team may be or how good that individual is. Formula One is slightly different to that. So let's just look at these for examples. Michael Schumacher, incredible driver, won so much with Ferrari, right? Rubens Barrichello, yeah. how much did he win? Nothing. Nothing, but he moved over for Michael Schumacher, right? He, he yeah. did what Checo's doing at the moment, okay? Another one, Lewis Hamilton, with um, we'll start with Valtteri Bottas just to prove the point. Valtteri Bottas rolled over, allowed Lewis to get what the team wanted out of Lewis. How many yep. championships has Bottas won? Zero. Nico None. Rosberg did not do that. Nico Rosberg won a championship. Who knows what would have happened after there because he chose to retire. And yes, Lewis won one as well, but they had a nice little battle before that happened between the two of them. At the moment, my advice to Checo is... Forget about it and just go for it. Ignore the helping Max out because you know now it's not reciprocated. Go out there, yeah. challenge him for it, push him to the limit, and if you win a championship, so be it. Who gives a shit? Go and win it. As long as Red Bull win it as a team, they're not really going to care. Don't crash, race yeah. fairly, and beat him. And that, that's the best way yeah. for it because otherwise he's going to add that list of Barrichello, of Bottas, of Button when he was at McLaren. They pick a number one driver and it's You're predominantly Weber, about them. Mark Webber, back in the day. Exactly, alongside Seb. Massa, alongside Alonso for the most part of it. It was all about yeah. one driver in particular. And how many championships have they won? None. Because they've rolled over and allowed it to happen. The one guy that I've used as an example there is Nico Rosberg, and he's the one that's gone ahead and won it. So for me, Checo needs to forget about the team orders and just go ahead and do your business, show why they signed you in the first place, and just win fucking championships. Yeah, I think, and it is, it is, it comes down to that. That is the part that really doesn't sit right with me. It's just that lack of acknowledgement, like that thing with Max's dad, Jos Verstappen, just stood there. Like Perez is not someone that has been so integral in Max's success over the last few years. So the reason I listed on it earlier, yeah, like it just, it just doesn't sit right with me. I don't like it. For me, it's a lack of respect. It's a lack of like you're not acknowledging what he's done, which is a hell of a lot. Things that he didn't have to do. I suppose he did when it comes down to team orders, but he could have been selfish like a an Eco Rosberg and done his bit like a selfish like a Max. Yeah, and like you said, where it's not being reciprocated. So I think it's just a little bit of respect. You can still you can be arrogant, you can be successful, you can achieve all the things that you want to achieve in all the ways that you want to achieve them, but just have a little bit of respect for the ones that help you along the way. Because like I said, no matter who you are, no matter how successful you are in life, no matter what field you're in, there is always going to be someone or some people that help you along the way at some point to help you get to that point. And you've got to respect that. And that's the part that I really haven't liked from this weekend. And, and that, that's, why I fell, that's why I fell out with Max. And that happening from Jos Verstappen should be the icing on top of the cake for Checo. But I can tell it's upsetting. Yeah, I can tell it's getting emotional. Let's move on to talk yeah, about the right. guy that did... Yeah, start crying more than Kemp talking about UFC London in a minute. <laughs> Let's move on to talking about the guy that finished third place then because there is no Formula One uh, this weekend. There's another week's break. Um, Fernando Alonso, he did finish third, then he didn't finish third, then he got third reinstated. It's just been an absolute calamity of errors from Saudi Arabia's FIA section. 
But we've got to the conclusion that Fernando Alonso, for the second consecutive week, or second consecutive race, should I say, sorry, finished in third place. And that is just a testament to how well he's doing at the moment. So I've asked you this question before, and I'm going to ask it you again now because the guy seems to have improved since then. Uh, like a fine wine, he seems to be getting better with age. There's loads of people that seem to turn around and say that Fernando Alonso should not be on a Formula 1 grid solely because he's taking these opportunities away from the younger kids that are trying to break into the sport. Fernando Alonso is still performing at the highest of levels, beating the best of the rest at the moment and proving what he can do week in, week out. So would you agree that Fernando Alonso at the moment is proving exactly why that seat is still for him? Yeah, of course he is. He's performing unbelievably well. As simple as that. Two-time world champion. He's come back in at a later age. Who gives a shit how old he is? If he's performing, he's performing. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah. If if it was the other way around and Fernando was performing and he got kicked out for a younger racer, there'd be people saying, oh, he's been booted out because of how old he is. Like, you're never going to please everyone. There's always going to, someone, going to be someone that has an argument. That car is... He's got a lot of hype in the, in the off season in testing and things like that for how good it looks and and they're proving that so far and Fernando Alonso after just two races has a real massive shot at eventually come the end of the season being the best driver on the grid that's not in a Red Bull so yeah really interesting that race for third place I think now through the rest of the season. Yeah, my pre-season prediction, I, I'm already going to say, is is a complete lost cause at the moment. I said at some point the bold prediction was McLaren would get a one-two at some point. At the minute, we haven't even got a 1-2 in points, so we're not even getting close to it. Last uh, Two weeks ago, Piastri didn't finish, Norris didn't finish in points. This time around, Norris finished 17th, Piastri finished 15th. We've taken a step back, we're doing poorly. It's pretty much a lost cause for McLaren at the moment, and I think it's just them dominoes that... I know you say about um, about NFL when free agency comes about and the dominoes start to fall into place. I think we're starting to see an insight now that Norris will eventually have got frustrated. He he gave in insights uh, during preseason testing. At the end of the season, Lewis has been given the go-ahead that if Mercedes can't provide him with a winning car, he can jump ship and leave. I can't see him going yep. to Ferrari or for Red Bull. I think that'll spell the end of his career in Formula 1. I think he'll retire and he'll go on to creating his own team for um, a different sport that he wanted to. But I think that's the door opening for Lando Norris. And I think he's the building blocks are already starting to fall into place for him. So Norris and Russell, and if Mercedes can get that car competitive again, Verstappen against Norris, against Russell, we are looking at an incredible couple of years. Yeah, definitely agree with that, mate. Definitely agree with that. Um, and just very quickly as well, talking about pre-season predictions, very early on, we're only two races in, but I did have McLaren as the underachievers of the uh, of the season. And so far, Muckamark, I'm on something there, so I do apologise. I had, uh, I had uh, Fernando Alonso as my overachiever. There you go. My favourite driver on the track. In. I still don't like the fact he left McLaren, and we shouldn't have got rid of him either time. But there we go. Right, uh, Skin, thank you very much for joining me. Um, that is what we've got for Formula One uh, this week. When we're back next. We'll be back a week on Friday when we uh, preview the next Formula One Grand Prix, which is down under in Australia. Uh, the same weekend oh. as WrestleMania weekend as well. So it's going to be a late night for anyone wanting to watch the WrestleMania followed by uh, the Australian Grand Prix that just seemed to finish and start 
nice and in time for each other. So it's going to be an all-nighter for some people that uh, like both sports. But yes, Australia on the 2nd of April is when Formula 1 returns. So just before then, we will be discussing um, the Australian Grand Prix. Lads, that is all we've got time for this week. Of course, we'll be back later on in the week. But thanks very much for joining me to go through all of this. Of course, Kempis Combat Corner, the darts, the Formula One, and of course, the latest in the Premier League. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be looking more at free agency. Hopefully, uh, a trade will eventually happen between the Jets and the Packers. And we might actually see Aaron Rodgers in a different team for a change. But at the moment, nobody knows what's going on there. So we'll be talking about the NFL when some news comes out of that. Um, but lads, thank you very much for joining me to go through all this. Rocky, 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 Rocky. Headshot, dead. <laughs>